0: Today, we continue our series on the overcomers. So far, we have looked at Abraham from faith to faith, Jacob, born again, Joseph, forgiveness, being greater than vengeance. Today, we're going to look at the life of Moses. There's a common thread that we share between Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, and as we will see with Moses, it's a covenant promise that actually was given to Abraham. And it was given in several forms in chapters 12, 13, 15, and 17. I would like you to invite you to turn to Genesis 13, verses 14 through 16. That's Genesis 13, verses 14 through 16. And when you're there, say amen. And the Lord said unto Abraham, this was after Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where there art. Look northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed, for how long? Forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth then shall your seed also be numbered. God promised Abraham that he would be a father of a multitude of people and a land where they may dwell safely. We ended our story with Joseph in him, in one of the most powerful scenes I think there can be in scriptures behind a cross, and that is his forgiveness to his brothers after they had betrayed him and he had suffered. But the story does not end there, for there is a little bit more to the story afterwards. If you will, if you're there, please turn now to Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25. This happens to be the last paragraph in Genesis. And again, that's Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am, what? Dying. But listen to his next words that he speaks but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones from here. What was Joseph doing? He was claiming the promises that had been given already to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now him. In Exodus 13, verses 18 and 19, we see the fulfillment of those promises. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in an orderly rank of the land of Egypt. I hope we are orderly. When Jesus comes, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you. This act of faith of Joseph earned him a spot in what's often referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews 11 where the author repeats, by faith. By what? By works? By faith. Joseph, when he is dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. This covenant promise, this golden thread spoken from the mouth of God to Abraham, handed down from generation to generation, Through all of Abraham's descendants, this theme, this promise, did not end with Abraham, did not end with Isaac or Jacob or Joseph, continues with Moses down to this very age. I would like to read to you something, if I can have your indulgence. I would like to read something from the Jewish historian Josephus. Now, when I'm on a pulpit, I generally believe that it should be Bible and the Bible alone. But every once in a while, there's nuggets out there that we can incorporate. Now, if you're not familiar with Josephus, Josephus was born, he was a Jewish historian. He was born about 37 A.D., a few years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, lived to about 100. Now, Josephus, for Bible scholars and those who like to dig into history, Josephus provides a snapshot uh, Jewish culture, and allows us to understand certain things that, quite honestly, we can miss sometimes in the Bible. Uh, for example, in Luke, there is a parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and it talks about um, the, the man lying in the bosom of Abraham. It's the only time in Scripture that that phrase appears, and sometimes people will speculate, even though we should be able to visualize, but in the writings of Josephus, he actually explains what that meant to the Hebrews. It is Josephus who also gives us an, an image and a description of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. But what I wanted to share with you is some of the stories that Josephus, which were handed down, that talking about Moses. I'm going to be reading from the Antiquity of the Jews. I'm going to be reading from chapter, from book two, chapter nine. I'm just going to take a couple snippets. A man whose name was Amram. Now that's Moses' father. One of the nobler sort of Hebrews was afraid for his whole nation. Now I need to stop there for a second, because leading up to this portion of the story, this is what has transpired that we see in scriptures. The Israelites knew, the Hebrews knew from the promise given to Abraham that a deliverer was going to come and deliver them out of bondage. Turns out that the Egyptian astrologers also read in the stars that it was time for the deliverer to appear. And they appealed to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh issued a decree to do what? To kill all the male Hebrew children so that deliverer could not rise up. Amram has heard this. His wife, Jochebed, is with child. He continues, What shall happen for the young men being brought up hereafter? And he was uneasy because he knew not what would happen to his son Moses, or excuse me, to his child. Amram did what most of us, I believe, would do, In time of trouble, he prayed to God, entreated him to have compassion. He confesses, he says, Have compassion on the men who have transgressed the laws of your worship and afford them deliverance. And he calls upon the promise that was given to Abraham. And as the story continues, that Josephus continues to, to write, God hears his petition and answers it, giving him a dream. And in the dream, he declares God has mercy and was moved by his supplications and told him not to despair. God informed Amoran that through his son, God would deliver the children of Abraham. Now, how much of this was shared with Moses as he was being brought up? Whether this is true or not, or is it folklore handed down mixed with truth, we don't know. What we do know is from scriptures. I'm going to pick up Moses' story at the age of 40. Remember that he was raised by the Egyptian princess, the daughter of Pharaoh raised amongst the Egyptians and taught by them, as well as by Jochebed. At the age of 40, Moses visits the people. Seeing them mistreated, we know the story, Moses decides to do what? He decides to take matters into his own hand. And, of course, when we get into trouble, we don't do that, right? We don't try to fix it. The story evolves, we know it, that Moses winds up killing the Egyptian. What was he thinking? Did he see himself as a deliverer? Did he see himself in terms of where the Hebrew brothers would see him as a deliverer as well and perhaps raise up and take up the sword and follow him? We were reminded that it is not by might but by power, but by my spirit that the Lord of hosts will deliver his people. What Moses did not realize at that point is, is that his life was about to change in quite dramatic fashion. The next day, Moses returned to his people, and this is what they said to him. Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Fear gripped Moses. And he fled to his life, for his life, went to the land of Midian. We too must remember that we live in a sinful world. Bad things can happen to us. And a blink of an eye, when things are going well, our lives can change. Just as dramatic as it did for Joseph, or excuse me, for Moses. Not if... It happens, but when it happens, how do we as individuals react? How do we interact with our loved ones and those who care for us, the ones that are closest to us? And more importantly, how do we interact with God? Do we allow fear to grip us and run like Moses? Or do we praise God, like Job did? Do we rile against God? Or do we approach God with a contrite heart? Do we share our feelings honestly with God? Do we tell him how much we are hurting? Do we tell him how we do not understand why this is happening? We need to remember that David was always honest with God. Brutally so sometimes, and yet he was referred to and called by God himself, a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he was honest with God. We must think about this when we go through our own trials and tribulations. I'd like to pick the story back up, now let's go to Exodus 3, beginning with verse 1. And this is now, Moses is now 80 years old, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian as a shepherd. And we know the story pretty well, the burning bush. When you're there, say amen. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and beheld the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now, I'm going to take a little divergence here. I remember coming into the faith. I did not grow up with an understanding that Jesus was eternal that Jesus was in heaven from the very beginning. And I can remember hearing people sharing and saying that Jesus was in the burning bush. Jesus was that angel of the Lord. And I kept saying to me myself, no, God was there. Well, both answers are correct. What I want to draw our attention to is how Moses reacts to this wondrous sight. Moses sees it, and he says, now I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why does the bush not burn? So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he responded, here I am. When God wants to get the attention of someone, it's not unusual for him to call out the name twice. In fact, it happens eight times in scriptures. It happened with Abraham. Happened with Jacob. And notice what Moses does. He responds, here I am. When God calls us to serve him, how do we respond? Do we say here, send me? Now there's another question I want to ask, and this is one I cannot give you the answer to that you will have to seek out for yourself. I want to draw us back to the statement where he said, excuse me, let's continue reading in Exodus three, verse five and six. Then he said, draw, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand. Is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. And who does he identify himself with? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he hid his face, for he was now afraid to look upon God. Key point that we want to understand is God reveals himself to Moses as a personal God. Not someone aloof. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of you, the God of me. God is not ashamed of us, but wants to draw near to us. So where did things go wrong? Where did our understanding of the true character of God go astray? We know the answer. And now I want to touch on that point that I kind of got to a little bit too soon in my sermon. Going back to verse 5, he says, Do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals, off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. What does it mean to be holy? Now it's interesting... We don't need to be Bible scholars and know the original language, Hebrew and Greek. But if you're familiar with um, concordances and occasionally like to look up words, sometimes you can get some interesting insight. Someone once compared the difference of looking in the Bible and in English and the Bible in its original language saying you get the basic outlines like a black and white TV, but when you actually see it in the original language, you see it in full color. You still get the outlines, but there's some added things. Turns out that the Hebrew words for holy and sanctified are almost identical. In the transliteration, one is kodesh, and the other is "Kadash. Simple change of a letter from an O to an A. For the Hebrew to be holy, it means something is sacred. Something is consecrated. It's rare and it's pure and therefore is to be treated differently. Sanctification simply means to set aside something for a holy use. It is often stated that sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. God himself told Moses that no man can see his face and live. So when Moses was standing in the presence of God on holy ground, was Moses holy? Remember the story of Nadab and Abihu. They offered profane fire. And what happened to them? I'll read carefully what Moses said in Leviticus 10.3. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is what the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified, meaning holy, in them that come nigh me. And before all the people I will be glorified. And when Aaron heard this, he held his peace. There's a valuable lesson for us, all of us, to learn. We should not treat that which is holy as common, nor should we treat that which is common holy. And my caution to myself And if you can learn from it as well, too. We have a tendency to think of that about the Sabbath. It was the first thing that God sanctified, made holy in scriptures. We would be tempted to throw stones at those who we believe worship on the wrong day. But is it possible for us to worship the right day and still be wrong? treating that which is holy, and treating it as common as we thumb through our phones to see what the latest basketball score or what my friends are saying. Our bodies are here, but our minds are far away. How many of you are familiar with David Ashtorek? A few of you. Um, he speaks fast, doesn't he? <laughs> Those of you who know him. <laughs> Northerner, I guess you would sit back and say. And as I was thinking about this concept, I I remember a story that he once shared. He was very new into the church. He was getting ready to board a plane. And as he looked on those around, he noticed that the plane was being, was, was going to be filled with Orthodox Jews. They were getting ready to go to a holy convocation. Now, David Astrick was new in the faith, and so he's excited about his faith. And he decided, he goes, do I say something to them? And so finally he, he mustered up the courage, and he turns around, and he says to the man standing near him, he goes, you know, I keep the Sabbath too. Now, if you've ever seen the pictures of an Orthodox Jew with their hat and their beard, and they're, they're, they're very emotionalist as, as well too, this stoic face. And David recounted how this man just looked at him in the eyes and said, there are 612 other laws in Torah. You must be a seventh-day Adventist. Sometimes it's good to be humbled. Why do I go down this road? We're reminded of Moses, even after being in the presence of God, was not perfect. He still had to deal with human flaws. His first failure that he had to endure was on his way to Egypt. I'd like to read something from James 3.1. Strong counsel. Let many of you not become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such we will incur a stricter judgment. The more given, the more expected. With that in mind and with the story we just covered, let us turn to Exodus 4, verse 24. That's Exodus 4, verse 24. Moses is on his way to represent God before Pharaoh. And beginning with verse 24, it says, It came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to do what? To kill him. Now, to the unbeliever, what does this portray of God? Think about this. Moses has stood in the presence of God. He's been given a great commission. He's been shown wonders even while he was there with God. Remember when he was sitting there and he was trying to weasel his way out and sitting back and saying, no, I'm slow of speech and they won't believe me. And and God showed him one. He says, take your hand, put it into your bosom. And when he pulls it out, he saw death. Leprosy. But when he put it back in, it was then healed. So why is it that the Lord is now his chosen messenger, not man's chosen messenger, not someone who says, I will do, but God's own chosen messenger? He seeks to kill him. Let us continue. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go and then said, you are a husband of blood because of circumcision. Moses was sent forth as a representative of God. Those who are going to do his bidding must be holy. Why was the Lord seemed at what we would consider so harsh? Remember the covenant promise. This is my covenant, which shall be between me and you, and thy seed after. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Moses could not go before Pharaoh, representing God, representing the fact that the fulfillment of the covenant promise given from the time of Abraham forward. He could not represent God. And it's a lesson for all of us as well, too, both husband and wife. We must come together. When it comes to issues of God, they always must be put forth. How many stories do we have from scriptures where one or the other chose to drift a little bit? And what was the outcome? When God gave the covenant promise to Abraham, he states, my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. That command still stands today, but it actually has a higher calling because now we are called to have circumcision of what? Of the heart. A character change. And so that brings me to our scripture reading today. Flash forward now to Numbers 12, verses 1 through 3. It's Numbers 12, 1 through 3. Now, as you're turning there, I've got to share that, that of all of the sermons preparing in this series of The Overcomers, I will tell you that preparing Moses was the absolute most challenging one. Abraham was easy. Jacob was easy. My namesake was easy. Even preparing David was easy to come. But Moses actually was a challenge for me because there are so many lessons that we could learn from. How could I narrow it down to one that would apply, that we could take and apply to ourselves? They're all good messages. And so beginning with Numbers 12, verse 1, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses, because of the Ethiopian woman he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now Josephus records that when Moses was in Egypt, the Ethiopians had come and waged war with the Egyptians, and the Ethiopians had won a great battle. And he goes on to record how the Ethiopians were actually outraged at the Egyptians. Not only had they won a great battle, but they felt that the men in battle had not acted courageously. And so they sought to wipe out Egypt. The story goes that Josephus recounts is that Moses approached Pharaoh and said, I will lead the Hebrew people against the Ethiopians. Now, if this story is true, you can only imagine what, Pharaoh is thinking, cool, I can get rid of two birds with one stone and get rid of the Hebrew people and the Ethiopians. And so he allows them to go. Supposedly in that, Moses wins a great victory. And part of it was, is that in the peace agreement, he married an Ethiopian princess. Now, I don't know if this is the true story behind it. What we simply know is this in scriptures. And this is the point that God wants us to understand. Miriam and Aram spoke against Moses. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? What is being exhibited here? You see a little pride, perhaps? Has he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. And now this next statement. Now the man Moses was very meek. Some scriptures say humble. Above all men which were upon the face of the earth. We know what happened with Miriam. She was struck with leprosy. Aaron and Moses both pleaded with God, interceded for her. She was set outside to camp for seven days and healed. The whole sermon could be about just this one story. There's many questions. Why did Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses in the first place? Why did God strike Miriam and perhaps not Aaron? Remember at the time, Aaron was high priest. And what does it mean to be meek, to be humble? Now, the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. This is another one of those instances where the Hebrew actually adds a little bit to this. We get the general picture. But in the Hebrew, if God wanted to emphasize something, he repeated the word twice for example, on the day you eat of it, you shall surely die, in the Hebrew, is you will die, die. We don't think that way, and so the translators you know, put it into our thinking patterns. The process is the same. But interestingly enough, in the Hebrew, not only does God say he is humble, not only does he say he is humble, humble, but he says he is very humble and humble. which means he is gentle, modest, lowly, poor in spirit. What did Christ say? You know, we've looked at some of, any of these stories and we see foreshadows of Christ. And one of the most beautiful foreshadows of Christ in his character is revealed in that statement right there. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? I am meek and lowly in heart, that you may find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The gospel message which has been preached since the Garden of Eden is all about Christ. But his love, his compassion, his mercy, his tenderness, his kindness. When we, when I, witness to others, what image of God are we portraying? Or perhaps betraying? Does the gospel message that we present to the world pass the eye test? What is the opposite of humility? Pride. For he who said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit on the mount, I will ascend, I will be like the most high. For me, the true gospel, there are only three eyes I repent, I accept and I surrender. I confess my weaknesses and repent of my sins. I accept the gift of salvation that Christ purchased for me on the cross, redeeming him unto ourselves, to himself, excuse me. And I surrender myself to his will. For me, any other I is a false gospel. And for me, it is the last one. Full surrender, which seems to always trip me up. Am I the only one that has that problem? We've looked at the life of Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, and now Moses briefly. It's time now to start bringing together some of the lessons, some of the commonalities that they all shared. Each one of them had unique challenges. Abraham, a man of character, given a promise that he would have a son, but he didn't have a son. He was past age. And then after he's given the son, he is then given the ultimate test. Go sacrifice your special son. We saw with Jacob how he had to persevere with God to learn to trust him in his promises in transforming our character. We saw with Joseph the way he was betrayed, having himself to learn humility. Every one of us have challenges. Every one of us have hurts. Every one of us have suffered. Sometimes we suffer because of the things we do. Or maybe I should say I do. I know the rest of you don't do that. Sometimes simply because, what, life happens. We're still living in a sinful world. There are things outside our control. What can we learn by their examples? Well, there are many. Here's my top three. And it's a three-letter word. They ran. Now, as I see the puzzle looks on your face, I will say again, they ran. First, they relied on the promises of God. Second, in their dealings with God, they were always honest with him. They spoke to God in their privacy as he was a friend, as we would speak. When they hurt, they shared their hurt. When they were puzzled and said, you are going to give me a promise, but I I don't understand. I'm beyond age. He didn't doubt God, but he wanted to understand how it was going to be. And the third, they never played victim. They never allowed the circumstances outside to control their life. We can't control so many things in our life. Joseph held on to that promise. I'm dying, but God shall surely visit you. And as we saw, we know the time we live in. We do not need to be told scriptures, prophecy becoming fulfilled before our very eyes. We need to be careful that we are not like the ten virgins that we have fallen asleep yet again. We saw just a slight glimpse with Moses, and I mentioned that there's so much to it. It turns out that with Moses, how many times did Moses have to deal with discontent? With murmuring and complaining and outright rebellion. Not only did he have to lead a people out in war against outside enemies, The greatest challenge for him was where? From his own brothers, and even from his own family. This is why I chose the title of the sermon, Alone Amongst the Multitude. Because the reality is, when we choose to follow God, there will be times when you will feel like you are alone, or even your family and friends may betray you. Even amongst the multitude, even sitting here today in church, even when you're home with family. And this is the lesson we should be learning from those who have come before us, those who have already dealt with tragedies and challenges in their life. Abraham had to walk alone when God said, go sacrifice your special son. Jacob had to walk alone when he struggled with God, not just over his fallen character, but more importantly, did he trust the promises of God? Because he was next in line. With Joseph... He had to walk alone, betrayed, sold as a slave in a foreign country, separated from family, separated from a life he probably would never see again. How did he survive? I think the last words in Genesis tell us. He held on to the promises of God. If you study Moses, you will find out that that is what sustained him as well that he had learned to trust God, even when it did not make sense up here. I leave you with these final words from Jesus in Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, say the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty What we must understand and come to accept and come to believe and come to claim is that no matter what your struggles are, no matter what your pain is, Christ is there by your side. When you see him uplifted on a cross and you sit back and you think of the past, that which was, and it brings back painful memories, remember that Christ has you covered. When you're looking forward of uncertain futures, don't despair he has that covered too and when you have the troubles of today just look up because guess what he has our salvation is soon coming he has that covered as well too and so when trouble comes your way do as abraham and those before us did they ran Never play victim. Deal with what life deals you. Always be honest with God. And learn to trust him on his promises.